automating the non-driving parts of trucking. Will there ever be an end to the disruptions of our vital supply chains? And some practical solutions for dealing with returns. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Zebra Technologies. As demand increases, so does the cost to run legacy operations, leaving small and growing warehouses asking, how can I boost warehouse efficiency? The answers in black and white. Automate your operations with digital solutions from Zebra Technologies. Zebra has tools tailored to meet your needs that will inspire inventory visibility, drive prescriptive actions, and fuel data-driven performance to cut down costs. Get the answers at zebra.com slash the answer. That's zebra.com slash the answer. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, we know that autonomous trucks are coming someday, but there are other automated technologies that are behind the scenes today to keep the trucking industry moving efficiently. To find out more about these and other technologies, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thanks, Dave. Uh, that's right. There's growing excitement around autonomous trucking, uh, especially with some of the pain points that a lot of our listeners will be familiar with. Uh, the pressure for over-the-road freight, the e-commerce boom, labor and driver shortages. Uh, but the challenge of getting around those goes uh, much farther than just designing a self-driving vehicle. To discuss that, our guest today is Doug Schreier. Uh, he's the Senior Vice President of Strategy with Transflow which is a provider of mobile telematics and business process automation for the transportation industry. Uh, thank you for being here with us today, Doug. Thank you, Ben, for having me. Uh, first, let's define some terms here. Uh, could you give us some examples of what you mean when we talk about automating non-driving tasks? Um, yes, there's many uh, tasks that we can think about that will have different solutions about it. But what we're looking at doing is automating those tasks that are common, um, that can be programmatic. Um, and some of these things are things that you may need a person to, um, you know, kind of interview with or, or interact with. And for that, you're using some sort of desktop automation solution where the system, the tool itself, will automate what the common or the, the standard process is, and the human comes in to interact, to validate, to, to do the things that a computer is unable to do. Uh, when you're able to then take it to the next step where that person's not needed in that process, um, you've got better data, you got better OCR technology in your back office working with the paperwork, you can move towards true robotic process automation. These are standard you know, processes that happen behind the scenes, um, automating those things that we used to ask our back office to do. Um, the key to this, though, is the ability both to interact with the GUI of, of websites and your TMS systems, but also to get good data and usable data from your systems. That could be from paperwork. Uh, it could be from your customers as they send you load information. Um, it could be from a number of different sources. But one of the most valuable sources are the driver and the data that they're sending back in. Yeah, that there is definitely a lot of paper uh, still being used in, in transportation uh, tasks for sure. Um, 
And I, I remember uh, you mentioned OCR, which I think is optical character recognition, which used to be kind of a big deal um, a yes. couple of ago. So um, it, it sounds like there's a lot of benefit there. Uh, who, who can apply some of these approaches? Um, There's so many handoffs, of course, throughout the transportation uh, links, like carriers, shippers, retailers, 3PLs, brokers, it goes on and on. Yeah, if you think about it from a life cycle load, um, and you walk through that, you know, from receiving that initial load, or, you know, even bidding on a load, you know, how do you do that? And, you know, there's definitely ways for you to apply both desktop automation, robotic process automation, the front side, and some great providers out there doing this. So, you know, what they're doing is they're looking at the bid boards that are available from, you know, their shippers, uh, they're handling over uh, freight, and ultimately trying to automate the process of bidding. They don't want to miss the opportunity to get freight uh, because an employee that, you know, was responsible for that customer wasn't on that bid board at one time. So you can use it there. But as you get into the execution of the actual freight, um, paperwork becomes a really key area. How do you collect that information? How do you digitize it, make sure it's accurate, and really take that all the way through the completion of the loan, the invoicing of your carrier, the payment, successful payment to your drivers so they pay correctly, right? Making sure that you're paying accurate accessorials um, and that as you're pushing those invoices up to your carrier, or up to your, your shipper, that they're not coming back to you from the freight auditor or telling you that you've done them wrong, or you're missing you know, necessary information. Um, but back office definitely has a bunch of opportunity to automate. Gotcha, for sure. Yeah, that, that payment side, uh, just speaking personally, is something that I, I have a lot to, to learn about myself. So and I'm glad we're having this conversation. What uh, pain points or specific chokeholds are, are users trying to solve with this approach? We had talked at the top about some of the Sort of common headaches that uh, that are being felt throughout supply chain now. Um, are, are there uh, problems that are particularly well matched for for this approach to to help solve? Yeah, yeah. So I was just at a big carrier um, last week, and we were looking at some of the paperwork processing and the the exceptions that they were having to handle. And you look at that, and you have one person, and they're dedicated to a couple of accounts that are harder to deal with from a requirement standpoint and they're manually doing all this work. Um, the, the ability to um, automate that is there. Um, and when you think about it though, um, the industry really needs to come together and we need to have more of a common model across the industry where you know, not each fleet is responsible for determining how to best handle this customer or these requirements, but that there's more of a common way to automate your back office. Um, you know, one of the things that we enjoy at Transflow is the heavy carrier base that we have, the ability to see so much of the paperwork and run them through our ML and you know, ultimately use that to train our brain and use that same training across our network of carriers and not just doing it for a single customer or a single carrier. Um, I think that's that's key, right? We gotta make this automation, A, it's got to work and it's got to be correct, but it also has to be affordable. And when you do it on one-off cases, um, sometimes the affordability of those um, goes way up. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, you, you, you mentioned 
um, part of the process there as ML, which I think is machine learning part of artificial intelligence. Um, and, and speaking about that, you know, specific technology blocks there, um, is the technology still developing to, to broaden uh, the types of tasks that we've been discussing here uh, that can be automated in this way? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talked OCR technology and OCR technology has been around, you know, for 20 years, but today that technology is so much better. And it's because of the data science and machine learning, the AI that's been put around the background, right? And that is being applied to the OCR technology. Right, so the first thing that, that in that process, you think about, okay, I get a piece of paperwork in, and I need to apply that piece of paperwork to get the data off of it, to automate my processes, whether it's paying my driver correctly, billing my customer, maybe it's dealing with my outside carriers. I gotta get all that information off, how do I do that? So, you know, the first thing that, that um, we recommend is classification of that document, right? So I can classify that document as a BOL, or I can classify that document as a lump of receipts. It's a lot easier now to move it forward into OCR that's specific for that type of image, extract all the key information that you would need to automate the processing of that image, and remove the, the clerical work and take those clerical employees, push them to the value add that they can create with an organization. You know, transportations, a very busy you know, um, industry, and there's all kinds of areas that you can apply your resources to create value, right? So we try to, to look at the areas that are costing organizations, automate those areas where, where possible, so that those people that can come in, add value, can be focused on the things that make a difference, engaging the professional drivers, you know, building a safety-first culture, right, having world-class customer service, you know, that all takes effort and people to apply those. You don't necessarily need effort and people um, to, to extract data off of a document, right? So if you do have a back office, if you are sitting there manually typing in a, a number uh, off of the invoice in order to bill, there's definitely better ways to, to proceed forward and, and remove that work from your plate. And, and, and you um, sort of foresaw my, my next question here, um, which is that in, in automation in general and, and in, um, in, in trucks in particular, um, that there's always a discussion about finding the balance point between the machine and, and the worker. Um, so are, are there some tasks where automation is not the best way forward? Uh, I, I think you were touching on that there about moving employees from clerical um, tasks to, to more uh, higher value add. Uh, so are, are yeah. there places where human employees are still the best way to handle the job? Oh, absolutely. I mean, no one wants to talk to a robot, right? So, you know, I don't see automation of, of relationships with a professional driver. It's about taking that dispatcher, that fleet manager, taking things off of their plate, they're distracting them from working with that professional driver, uh, creating a better, better value, better connection, better culture. Um, and, and, you know, have them focus on that, the relationship management aspect of that, you know, work closer with your customers to get better paid freight, deal with issues or upsetting your drivers or costing the supply chain inefficiencies. Um, you know, those are all things that I think you need people at. These are complex problems. And we're, I don't think we're, we're where we need to be from a technology standpoint globally, um, to automate some of those tasks. We definitely can assist 
but automating, you know, how you deal with professional drivers is, I, I think, is is further out um, than where we are today. Still, that sounds like there's a, a lot of lot of potential there, and uh, and, and, a, and a bright future for uh, for following this approach. Um, Doug, we really appreciate your coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Uh, great, we've had Doug Schreier with us uh, from Transflow. Uh, back to you, Dan. Thank you, Doug and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you reported this week about how consumers remain frustrated and angry over supply chain disruptions and challenges that they feel have no end in sight. Can you tell us more? Absolutely, Dave. Yeah. So um, the supply chain delays and disruptions of the past year and a half are negatively affecting Americans' lives, and many say they're fearful the situation will never end. That's according to a study of more than a thousand U.S. consumers by software vendor Oracle and that came out this week. Um, the research found that worries about more delivery delays, product shortages, and disruptions are worsening across the nation, due in large part to the rise of the COVID-19 Delta variant recently, and that people are really looking to the brands they buy from to help settle these concerns. Just wanted to give you a quick synopsis of some of the statistics from the uh, study. A majority of the respondents said they have been negatively affected by supply chain issues over the past year, with many saying they've been unable to purchase certain items due to shortages, they've been forced to cancel orders due to delays, and they've even been rationing essential items out of fear of running out. And what's more, 43% of people admitted that they've blamed missed gifts for special occasions on supply chain issues. Um, so as fall arrives and peak season shipping gets underway here, it seems that some of the supply chain fears that dominated at the outset of the pandemic are surfacing once again. So again, these are things we've been talking about quite a bit, but they're really sort of um, coming into sharper focus again. Yeah, it certainly seems like there's a lot of frustration out there. You mentioned that consumers see no end in sight to the disruptions of the past year. Were there any further details on that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there were. So um, the study found that um, Americans are, are increasingly worried that supply chain disruptions will continue to affect their lives in the future, with many saying they see no end in sight, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, more than 80% of the people surveyed said they're concerned that ongoing supply chain disruptions will, quote, ruin their life plans, such as birthdays, holidays, trips, and purchasing necessary items. Uh, they specifically mentioned school supplies. This study was done in early September, so clearly that was top of mind with a lot of people. Um, you know, and more than 90% said they plan to change their buying behavior moving forward because of this situation. And that includes doing things like buying in bulk and stocking up on items, purchasing gifts earlier to allow for delays, and paying closer attention to global shortages of items they regularly use. Again, these are things we saw at the outset and things that have kind of developed over uh, the course of the past 18 months, but again, seem to be um, really intensifying. Another point I just wanted to mention quickly is that the study offered a key takeaway that speaks directly to retailers and shippers. Um, they said that organizations that don't prioritize their supply chains really risk um, declines in customer loyalty and revenue. And these are things we've been talking about quite a bit as well. Most respondents said that delays would cause them to cancel their order. 80% said delays or shortages would even cause them to stop buying from a brand entirely, even though most of the people that were surveyed said that they understand that supply chains are really complex and that a lot of this is, you know, you know, sort of beyond control, but they still said they want the um, brands that they buy from to help ease their concerns. Among the things they want, they mentioned a few things, more regular updates about shipping status, 
more transparency about inventory and potential supply chain issues, and they also want refunds or discounts if items are delayed or canceled. So I think the bottom line is that there's just a lot of tension building out there in the consumer world. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And those are all good ways to keep communicating with customers when those shortages and other problems arise. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you reported this week about ways that shippers and retailers are trying to cut the cost of returns as we headed to peak season. What steps are they taking? Just right, yeah. Um, and, and this actually touches on uh, really some of the same topics that Victoria was just uh, telling us about uh, in, in terms of refunds, in terms of customer loyalty, um, with, with whether it's gifts or school supplies. Um, you know, from the uh, retailer's point of view, reverse logistics is one of the most expensive parts of e-commerce fulfillment, uh, even more than last mile delivery because retailers have to receive an unpredictable volume of items coming back into their doors, uh, inspect and sort them, maybe repair them, get them back into a DC or a store shelf. Uh, all that eats up a good chunk of the profit margin from the original sale uh, and making it even harder to budget that. Many companies are now offering free returns. Uh, so they're paying for shipping those goods back to themselves as a way to attract customers online and, and uh, try to make a play for that, that loyalty uh, that Victoria was talking about. Um, those costs will probably be even higher than usual for e-commerce retailers this peak holiday season because uh, of that rising volume of online shopping we've seen during the pandemic, um, high freight costs, uh, you know, a lot of these mega trends that we've been talking about. So this week, Narvar, they're a California company that makes software for managing product returns, released the results of a survey it did of online shoppers, and it found that some of those approaches are beginning to change. Uh, because of the really high costs I mentioned. Narvar said that what it called the current status quo of one-size-fits-all returns policy, uh, policies uh, in terms of free returns, no questions asked, is not a feasible long-term strategy. So instead, Narvar said that retailers are beginning to personalize their returns policies based on the customer profile. So that ranges from some people who commit fraud, uh, maybe trying to get a refund for an item they never bought, uh, all the way to loyal uh, VIPs. So under that approach, uh, stores would offer favorable returns policies only to their best customers. That's interesting. Did the survey have specific examples of how that might work? They did. They had. Uh, they gave three different examples of ways that retailers are actually doing this right now. Uh, first, some companies offer longer return windows for their repeat customers. Uh, and as an example in the survey, uh, they found that, for example, Home Depot might order offer 365-day um, returns for repeat customers instead of just 90 for a first time, so a year instead of three months. Uh, Target was 120 days instead of just 90. So similar numbers for Best Buy and DSW. Uh, a second way is that some companies are offering uh, free shipping for a limited time, and that's as a reward to encourage customers to send in their returns faster or to accept store credit instead of a cash refund. So examples include Lulu's, uh, they give free returns for 10 days and then it costs $7 after that. Uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, ThreadUp and Dollskill, these are uh, largely clothing stores uh, fashion, uh, that they all have comparable policies to that. And a third option that they talked about is simply telling customers to keep the item and avoid incurring return costs at all. So 
Narvar said that some retailers extend uh, what they call unpublished keep the item offers to their best customers. Uh, some of the big names, Amazon, Walmart, Target, uh, Wayfair, Chewy, uh, so that lots of different types of goods there. Uh, according to the researchers, that approach helps build loyalty among repeat customers. We've talked about that a lot this, this episode, uh, who really appreciate that it saves them the time and effort. Uh, and uh, one thing uh, as a personal sort of response to that information um, that is, is you, re you really wouldn't know um, that from a customer's point of view whether you're getting, uh, you know, one of those special treat treatments uh, or not, uh, because, you know, it, it, all you know is what the offer is in front of you on your screen there. So um, that some of this stuff might not be visible to shoppers, but uh, according to the retailers, uh, it keeps them loyal and coming back. Yeah. Those sound like good approaches to a messy problem. Returns are always very difficult to deal with. Thanks, Ben. Yep, thanks. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topic that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights from the news this week. Happy to do it, Dave. Yes, my pleasure. And again, our thanks to Doug Schreier of Transflow for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform and rate it if you can. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Zebra Technologies. As demand increases, so does the cost to run legacy operations, leaving small and growing warehouses asking, how can I boost warehouse efficiency? The answer's in black and white. Automate your operations with digital solutions from Zebra Technologies. Zebra has tools tailored to meet your needs that will inspire inventory visibility, drive prescriptive actions, and fuel data-driven performance to cut down costs. Get the answers at zebra.com slash the answer. That's zebra.com slash the answer. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we will look at the legal issues surrounding vaccine mandates. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week. <laughs>